Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I am joined by Kate Nix. She is the head baker, owner, founder of North South Baking Co., which is in Covington, Kentucky. That's right across the Ohio River from Cincinnati. So you just take the bridge over, you know, the Spence Bridge or the Roebling Bridge or whatever, jump across the river. It's right there. Cincinnati has a great baking scene. They have a bunch of different bakeries. There's Brown Bear, there's a Les. The Baker's Table has a bakery operation that they run out of the restaurant too, which is kind of close by in Newport. And there's a whole bunch of others too. So Cincinnati kind of has this flourishing baking scene. Kate was really like one of the originals. She's kind of, in a way, the person that launched that whole scene. And not saying launched like she helped everybody else start their thing, but she was the first one in the market. And she kind of saw this void in the marketplace and wound up launching North South Baking Co. and was doing a bunch of farmer's markets and everything. But we cover her entire career, how she first got started baking, all the different places that she moved and worked and everything, how she wound up in Cincinnati, where she's not from originally or anything like that, how she kind of got her her footing and her feet set in the market and everything that's going on with North-South baking. She has a, a big project that's been in the pipeline for a long time, and she touches on you know why that's been delayed, the issues with the contractor that she's had and everything, um, what it's like to go through all that stuff as a sole proprietor of a business that you founded where you don't know what legal recourse you do have and you don't really have these connections to people and you're just this person and you know you're trying not to be taken advantage of, but it's really hard to find you know these avenues for help as being just this kind of sole restaurant or or food operation or baking owner or any bar owner, whatever. So you know she's super honest about that and and really goes into the kind of nitty gritty of that whole situation and looking to get that resolved too and the future plans that she wants to continue to do and aspirations and stuff that she has. So it's really awesome conversation. It's really honest conversation. It's a really thoughtful conversation too as well. She really gets into kind of all these minute details of everything that she's encountered and where they're at. And they just celebrated, I think, like their three-year anniversary too as well. And she posted something on Instagram that, you know, she's like their delivery driver now. So eventually that'll become a part-time position that she'll be able to uh, hire somebody for. And and that's awesome. And, you know, she has a handful of people, you know, working at the bakery now um, at their location and everything. And so we cover it all. It's a really, really interesting conversation. It's a really fascinating conversation with somebody who really cares about what they're doing and is a real key person in this food genre, this baking genre of Cincinnati is somebody that really kind of paved the way without knowing that they paved the way. And all these other bakeries, you know, opened up to after her. But you can follow her on Instagram at Kate.knives. You can also follow the business at North South Baking. They're in Covington, Kentucky. So you can check out their website for hours, location, all that stuff too as well. You can follow us on Instagram at Spoon Mom. We're on Twitter. Facebook, TikTok, either at SpoonMob or SpoonMob1 on Facebook too as well. Check out our website, SpoonMob.com, writing questions, comments, feedback through the contact portal or email us directly, SpoonMob at Yahoo. There's a question that you want to ask a chef, a sommelier, anything like that, write that in. We'll fit that into the episode that kind of best fits what that question is. Once that episode airs or is getting ready to air, we'll shoot you back an email saying, hey, your question's on this episode. It's going to be coming out this week you get to kind of be a little bit part of the podcast. So that's always a, a little cool feature that I think uh, really helps tie a lot of the episodes together too as well. So you can also follow us, subscribe to the podcast on whatever your podcast platform that you prefer to use, Apple, Spotify, whatever. We're on like everything. So 
can follow our YouTube channel too as well if you prefer YouTube. Those episodes come out a week after they hit all the podcast platforms. New episodes come out Thursdays at 1 a.m. Eastern. Without any further delay, here is my conversation with Kate Nix, the owner, founder, head baker of North South Baking Co. in Covington, Kentucky. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of your evening. I know you bakers always have weird hours. You guys are usually up at like 2 a.m. proof and dough and and whatnot. So I want to get into kind of what you got going on now, you know, kind of new location as of probably coming up on a year, I think, with your kind of current location. You still want to do, I think, the Ludlow. So I want to get into all that stuff. But before we do, I always like to start at the beginning with, you know, everybody who comes on the podcast, you know, how they kind of first got started. So, you know, how did you first get into kind of baking? I mean, you're originally from New Jersey, right? I am. I've lived in five states in like the last 25 years. So bounced around a bit, but got into baking professionally while I was living in Michigan. Always something I was into growing up. I was like working for Whole Foods Market and just kind of had the opportunity to move over into their bakery at the time, which was a full production bakery. So they were making everything in-house at that store. That's basically just how I got my foot in the door professionally. And then once I got in there, I just kind of ran with it, like found what I was interested in and kind of like what I was good at. (laughs) What was it about baking that like you first got hooked on? Like usually everybody can kind of point to something in their childhood. So is it the same for you or was it just something you kind of fell into? It was something I kind of fell into. When I was like 19, I started baking from scratch at home. Before that, I mean, I really only knew like box mixes and like some basic cookie doughs. And it was more like me just wondering like, well, how do you make this thing if you don't make it from a box mix? Like, how do you make the the brownie without the, you know, buying the box mix? Like that was literally my first thought. And I had a friend who like gave me some recipes and I just started and I just thought it was cool. And then I started in sweets and then I moved into more bread baking, which is just a whole other world of fermentation. Like, I mean, I've gone back and forth between the both, but bread has been like a staple and doughs in general, um, because we do a lot of croissant. We do a lot of brioche. We do sourdough bread. So like things that are leavened, I'm not much of like a cake baker. Things that are fermented, I guess, are like interesting to me because of the variables and like the challenges. It's always changing. It's always different. There's just a lot of things that like affect the outcome. And there's always kind of like this learning curve. My very first job was like in a farm stand, working in florists, working in greenhouses, like all these plant related things that were kind of like more on the ornamental end and then got into baking And then by way of baking, like got into farming and like food and like processing local food and like this full circle thing of now I have all these relationships with farmers because we get all of their products for the baked goods that we create because it's very like local focused, seasonally focused. And it's just funny because I never thought I would like be like the full circle in my work life that, yeah, even though we're baking and it's a bakery, I'm still like involved in food and farming and, and all of that. 
that um, sourcing and uh, the seasonality of it. And you're self-taught. You never went to culinary school or had any sort of training in that aspect, right? Right. Is that something that you look back on and wish you did do? Or do you feel like it didn't really affect kind of how everything developed career-wise for you? For me, it definitely didn't affect how it developed career-wise. Like, you know, 10 years ago, there was a lot of baker positions and like head baker positions and things that needed, places needed to be filled. Everywhere I worked was different. Every time I moved to a different bakery, it was a different kind of bread. It was a different production schedule. It was different equipment. It was different fermentation. It was different like, oh, we don't have a walk-in cooler. Oh, we do have a walk-in cooler. Like we can't overnight those because we don't have a walk-in. So it's a whole different dough. It's a whole different schedule. So I bounced around all these places that like were completely different and I just kept learning and like big problem solving and troubleshooting at all those places, like how to make things better, how to make things more efficient. I had two different head baker positions that I got with like no actual experience in either being a head baker for the first one or sourdough. The other head baker job was like running a pretty high volume seasonal wood-fired brick oven sourdough bakery on a farm in Pennsylvania. Did a lot of everything from scratch. And I mean, I knew scratch baking, but I had never worked with naturally leavened bread. But when I started there, I could tell there was like a lot of issues. There was a lot of figuring things out and problem solving and troubleshooting. So it's kind of like you work backwards. Like a lot of that worked out well for me where Yeah, I like kind of worked backwards through the process. I think culinary school and pastry school and everything is great. Um, I wish I had the kind of like opportunity to learn some of the things that people do learn there. I don't know if it's as geared towards like the type of baking that I do with all the fermented items and um, like very whole grain, stone ground forward flours. And like, I mean, I'm sure they learn croissant and they learn lamination, but you know, there's a lot of like base skills and everything that you learn in, in school. And then um the more technical stuff, like I don't consider myself a pastry chef really. Like I don't have like a go-to cake recipe. I don't know how to do a lot of like different things that I I think they're just, I'm like, oh, they're fancy. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. Like, I love it. Pastry chefs are wizards, (laughs) but I don't know how to do a lot of that stuff. But then at the same time, like I figured it out, like I've developed pretty much all of the recipes that we use and techniques. And I mean, that's pastry creams, that's jams, that's fillings, you know, maybe I would have had a little more in my repertoire as far as like starting points are concerned. But I think with the way my journey kind of panned out, it worked out okay that I didn't go. Cause I really started in bread. I started in bread production. I've never worked anywhere that did the volume of pastry as my bakery does. Like we don't, we don't make a ton of bread. I wish we made more bread. It's pastry, it's croissant, <laughs> like, and, and all of the glazes and toppings and fillings and garnishes and all of the things that go with it. And it's all just been a very slow progression of like, okay, we figured out this pastry cream. Well, how can I make this other recipe based off of this thing? Like I do a lot of like, okay, I know what flavor I want or what taste or mouthfeel. And I work my way backwards in developing the actual process. You have employees now have had for a little bit. If one of them was like, hey, one day I want to open my own bakery. Do you think I should go to school for that? What would you recommend to them? 
I would recommend they work a lot of different places in the industry. Uh, stage. I mean, I bounced around. I've staged a lot of places. Um, I've made connections with other bakeries just in different areas of the country and the world. Lots of times just picking other people's brains and like kind of seeing how they go about things has been more relevant in my experience. I have multiple bakers working for me who either graduated from pastry or culinary school or like dropped out from it. It's kind of nice that this is still an industry where like you don't need to have the schooling. You don't need to have the degree. You can work your way up. I, I am, I'm an art school dropout. So I was on a different path. I was going to college for fashion design at one point in my life. It is an art form. It is a craft. Like it's very much a craft. It's very, very hands-on fitting though. I would have never, like, I didn't grow up saying, oh, I want to be a baker. Like I had no idea. I, I just kind of like found that spot and, and rode with it. So what was that point where you're going to fashion school, you want to be a fashion designer, you didn't think you were going to be a baker? What was that moment where you're like, yeah, maybe this is something I want to do. I want to switch to baking over my own bakery one day. My dad passed away when I was in college. I had also met someone I was dating at the time. We were living in different locations and I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And he was in college and I was like, I'm just going to move and like join you. Like, and like, I'll figure out whatever. And I moved to Michigan, done that, picked up and just gone and restarted a few times, which was nice. So I went out there and I was like working as a server for a brief amount of time and then got into Whole Foods Market because as actually like in the floral department, because I had all this background, I had uh, like worked in greenhouses and florists for like years and years, got my foot in that way and then worked my way up. Like I was a floral buyer for years. I opened the next store that we opened in that city and they kept sending me people to train. Like I was doing really well as a buyer. So what was interesting, because I had always had an inclination that I wanted to have my own business. I didn't know what it was going to be. For some reason, even in my 20s, like intrigued with the thought of having my own business, maybe because I just didn't want to work for anyone else. Like it's very, very possible. That was part of my motivation. <laughs> so I was working as a floral buyer. You had to do all the purchasing and margin balances and like inventory and explanations. And, you know, when it came to all the corporate targets you're supposed to hit and all of that. Um, and then I went on to um, be the produce buyer for that department at that store, which same thing. Like I bought like $40,000 a week in perishables and had to like manage all this stuff. And I was like in my mid twenties and I absolutely hated that job. Like I hated it. And they're like, Oh, your next move is like produce assistant manager. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. But at the same time, like, wow, I'm learning about like cost of goods sold and profit margins. And I'm learning about labor and spoilage. And I'm learning how to like track and like you know, use these tools to balance my budgeting and my buying. And like, that was all very interesting to me. So I was gleaning a lot of experience from that end of it. And then I pretty much like had kind of a review and they were like jerking me around about like 25 cent raise or some shit. And I was just like, you know, I, I just, 
I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go work in the bakery. <laughs> like that was just what I told them. And they had a position open in the bakery that they were like, if nobody applies for it, we'll just move you over there. Like you're a good worker. You've been here for a couple of years, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. So nobody applied for it. And they moved me into the bakery. And um, I started in like cake and pastry, which at the time there was only a few of us. Uh, the other girls wanted to decorate cakes. I hated decorating cakes. It stressed me out. Like, could never get my frosting smooth. Like, would over whip it, under whip it. Like, it just stressed me out. And I was like, no, it's cool. Like, I'll do the fruit tarts. And like, I'll come in early because you guys don't want to do this. And then like, at the time we used to bake some stuff in house. Uh, so there was like brownies and banana bread and stuff. And the other two girls didn't want to do that. And I was like, no, it's cool. Like I want to make 90 loaves of banana bread. That's rad. Like, yeah. So I started doing that big batch scratch baking there. And then there was just like a progression at the time with the management and that department and like the at one point in time Whole Foods was moving towards like more in-house products and they kind of like went the opposite direction so well then they got bought by Amazon and that changed everything <laughs> oh gosh yeah like even before that yeah and like so at that place they were making all their bread in-house we were doing like cheesecakes we we're doing a bunch of different pound cakes uh, eventually there was a sweets baker position that I kind of like slid into where yeah, I had a whole case of cookies and brownies and like all this other stuff that I did. Yeah, like did for them. That was all scratch baking and quantity, which was cool. And like, I really learned a lot about production there. And like, it was nice to start in that where you're like, oh, yeah, we're making 90 cheesecakes, you know, like, or we're making like, however many it, it was nice to like, kind of start in at that higher level and not I don't know, because then I just from the start had an idea of like production baking and like efficiency. I became a backup for the bread bakers. They needed extra hands for like an hour or so every day, like early in the morning. So I started doing that at like 6 a.m. And then they taught me like to be a backup bread baker and run the ovens. And there was just like a chain of events that happened that was like one of them got fired and one of them quit because of just bullshit, you know, like corporate stuff going on and, and people just being done with it. <laughs> I immediately was like made into a bread baker <laughs> into that shift, which was cool. It was like a 4 a.m. start time. So that was the earliest I had worked at that point in time. And the bread bakers at the time were all like ex-Zingerman's Bakehouse bakers, which Zingerman's Bakehouse is like an institution in Ann Arbor. They've been around forever. Zingerman's in general, and then like the Bakehouse being part of it. Um, the people I was working with, like new bread. I mean, we weren't doing sourdough. We were doing like fresh yeast bread. We had a massive proofer like you know but the bread was really good it was really interesting to learn and then I started learning about like hydrations and I was like oh we have to adjust this and like you know there is just this big curve and I don't know it just like caught my interest not that I get bored easily but I like things to keep moving I like things to keep changing I liked I was attracted to the seasonality of baking and like similar in produce even and in floral and like anything I did there was like a lot of seasonality involved it's like okay this part of the year we're selling this we're focused on this and then it moves into this and it moves into that and so I've always enjoyed that in every profession that I've had but like so in in baking it was the same like but there was this just this other level of like I don't know magic because you're creating something from a bunch of different things that aren't anything on their own it's like oh we have flour we have water 
we have salt, we have yeast, like some kind of pre-ferment, you know, and you put it together and you get something completely different depending on the ways that you put it together and the quantities. <laughs> it was just very intriguing. And I, I didn't really grow up with a family that did a lot of scratch baking. So I think to me, there was just like a lot of mystery in it going into it. And then that just piqued my interest. So like you said, you eventually leave Whole Foods work at a place, I think it was Art of Bread, you know, head baker there. But then you wind up moving to Pennsylvania and you bake at a couple of places, one of which was Apple Ridge Farm. Two questions, I guess. One, why Pennsylvania? And then how different is baking with a wood-fired oven versus your standard gas or in a regulated environment? Like how challenging is that? I guess like there's a missing link there. So I moved to Pennsylvania when I was 14 with my family. So I started in New Jersey and then I, I went to high school in the Lehigh Valley, like Northampton, Pennsylvania. That's where my mom still lives. She lives in Bethlehem, about 15 minutes in from New Jersey. I grew up in Perth Amboy, which was just like a stone's throw across the Raritan Bay from like Staten Island. Ended up in Pennsylvania for high school, went to college in Philadelphia for a little bit, then bounced to Michigan. But yeah, after Michigan, bounced back to PA because I was like, I need to restart. And like, I just need to reset. I'm going home gonna like get my feet under me and like see what happens like didn't want to stay there I like the area I love my friends and family out there but the pace of life is different and like the mentality so there was a lot of things I really enjoyed about Michigan and the Midwest but I didn't I didn't want to stay in Michigan because I didn't feel like I had the network of support and community there that I was looking for yeah so I went back east went to PA First worked at the flower shop, which is like a small bakery in Bethlehem. You know, the owner is like the main guy who does all the baking. Um, Mike worked really closely with him. He's still one of my buddies. He's <laughs> great people. At that point, I still wasn't like laminating or anything, um, but I was doing their bread and like working on other stuff with them. And then it kind of like lined up. They were taking a kind of like a pivot to like figure out what they wanted to focus on. And it lined up with me being approached about taking the head baker position at Apple Ridge Farm. Yeah, Apple Ridge is a wood-fired brick oven sourdough bakery, you know, on a small, like diverse organic farm in Pennsylvania, the base of the Poconos. So it was about 30 minutes north of where I was living in the Lehigh Valley. It's an Allen Scott style oven. They since have built another oven and like built the facility out more, which is awesome. Um, it was pretty, pretty scrappy when I was there. A lot of bakeries are kind of small and scrappy. Uh, the wood-fired oven was awesome. I mean, that was just a whole other learning curve. We had to build the fire. Like we had to select the correct lumber from the back. They would get lumber milling cast offs. So it was like trim from lumber milling. So a lot of it, it would be buried. Like some is pine, there's hardwoods, there's a whole bunch of stuff. They would kind of sort it. Um, sometimes we have to stage it to dry it a little bit, but yeah, building it, uh, building the fire, and getting the temperature right was a whole other like part 
of learning that took took quite a while um, to grasp because it it really is interesting. Like you're baking on retained heat, so like yeah, you build the fire and the oven like soaks up the heat and you close it up and like it levels out and then it just retains all that heat. It's not um it's not an oven where you're like actively feeding any kind of uh, heat into it while you're baking. It's just retained. So that was interesting. Like you learn the hot spots like you kind of like learn you know the staging of things and like the timing and even then it's a closed chamber like you're not working with like a steam injection oven um we didn't even steam i don't know if they've changed that but we didn't even like use a pump sprayer or anything like now we use a pump sprayer at the spot that we're at because it's like a very small italian pizza oven that a closed chamber but and also works on retained heat and and the baking of the breads like in the beginning of the bakes at apple ridge we'd fire off like there was pizza crusts we par baked there were like any kind of like uppies or baguettes or like smaller things uh batars that we would fire through when like maybe the floor was still kind of hot in the oven because it would pull some of the heat out of the floor which helped for the larger loaves that had to sit in there longer versus like in the beginning when the floor is kind of hot and you're putting things through that like bake quicker that was just like so interesting yeah there was a lot of things to do with kind of all goes back to like all the variables it's like you can have your oven right your temps right but like your dough's got to be right your starter's got to be right you know everything else has to be right so we didn't have really have climate control in that bakery we were mixing sourdough in a room that was built like half out of polycarbonate greenhouse plastic with like you know a fire burning at a thousand degrees like 15 feet away from me <laughs> like it was it was quite interesting um they were in you know like 15 farmers markets and buying clubs i mean i think we did like 2400 loaves a week at that point and they also had like one convection oven which we did some did a lot of other pastry and pretzels and like other things through too um it was one hell of a hustle so then how did you wind up in cincinnati after that man i just like took a leap i was at apple ridge for almost two years they had expanded and like we had grown they had opened like a pastry shop they had opened a wood-fired pizza place in a public market at the time they grew a little fast and like the team i was running at the main farm we ended up taking on a lot of the production for the pastry shop. I mean, it, it really helped me grow my like managing capacity and like running production kind of like, like, like getting a lot of that under my belt. And then by the time I had been there almost two years, I was kind of burnt out. The future just didn't seem solid. Like I, I kind of wanted to stay if it was going to be in a certain capacity and we're going to grow things a certain way. And my position was going to evolve because also as a head baker, I just wasn't, I wasn't making shit like for money. I wasn't making like anything. I was just like hustling, you know, really hard and like running this place and handling a lot of aspects of it. And I was kind of burnt out and I felt like, for the money I was making, which was less than I was making in Michigan. And like, I approached them also about meeting me. They turned it down. So when they turned it down, I said like, you're paying an entry level head baker salary. And like, that's the type of person you should have, you know, like working for you then. And I'm not an entry level head baker. Like I've been doing this for a long time and developed a lot of things for them and programs and everything. Um, 
I was taking like a two month road trip in the winter that year, 2017, to just kind of like bounce around, hit up some bakeries that like I knew in different areas. I just had a feeling like, all right, you know, it's time to move. Like it's time to go. You've been home in the Lehigh Valley for two years, almost like like let or about two years, like let's go. Like I didn't feel like it was the place to start my business there. I don't know. I didn't feel like the avenues were in in place. And I kind of loosely planned this road trip. I hit up Brimfield Bread Oven in uh like Brimfield, Ohio, who I only knew through Instagram. And I hit up my friends in Michigan that were bakers and I hit up Michelle Kovach and Ryan Morgan in Cincinnati because Michelle does Crackling Crust, which is a micro bakery out of her house. And then Ryan Morgan owns 16 Bricks. I knew them through the internet. Like I hit up some people in Asheville, North Carolina, because I had not been there and I had wanted to go there. I was just searching. Like, I don't know. I was just like, I'm going to bake and like, I'm going to bounce around and talk to people and take this road trip because this is like the only opportunity I've ever had in my life to have like two months off and just like go do something and I I did like I went you know to Brimfield bread oven and they just like opened their house and their bakery to me and it was such a positive environment which was really neat because I had worked in a lot of bakeries but it was toxic and like you were overworked and like it wasn't you know half the time it's like the owner's not even involved in what's going on or has a grasp of it and you feel disconnected and um I was at Brimfield and then I was in uh, Michigan kind of bouncing around watching people laminate um just checking out places and talking to people and I came down to Cincinnati which I'll admit I didn't even know was like southern Ohio when I planned my trip and I was like holy shit like I'm going to Kentucky (laughs) it's like what is this I had it lined up to be in Cincinnati for like two weeks I had stayed with Ryan Morgan and worked at 16 Bricks for like a few days yeah he opened his house to me and his bakery and like totally welcomed me and was super supportive and then same thing with Michelle I stayed in her house and we just hit it off and at the time she was like doing this bread kind of like buying club um it was in the winter so she just had an email list she didn't have any markets and she was like do you want to sell some croissants to my like buying club this week and I was just like hand laminating them you know and I was like yeah sure like that's cool. I can make some money. And I ended up selling like $400 worth of croissants that week to like her email list. And I was just like, oh shit, like people want croissants (laughs) in Cincinnati. And at the time I had never been here and I was bouncing around the city like, oh, this is a cool place. Like there's a lot of local farms. There's a lot of local beer. Now this is 2017. So Brown Bear Bakery wasn't open yet. Like LA wasn't open yet. There was like the whole host of other bakers that didn't even like hadn't even started up yet that are around now um the scenes really exploded but that was my thought I was like it's beer and it's food like local beer local food and then like then local bakeries come up like then the baked goods and I knew blue oven existed and like the midwest especially this area 
Like nobody fears carbs. Like people love their carbs. They want their beer. They want their bread. They want their pasta. They want their pastries. And it's just different. Um, that really stuck with me. And I was I spent some time here and I was just kind of like, well, this is a cool place. Like I've lived a bunch of places, but like this is cool. It seems like it's on the up and up and like up and coming. And I didn't even know there were incubator kitchens. Like I didn't know what an incubator kitchen was at that time, but I did know Ohio had favorable cottage food laws, which meant I could produce baked goods from my house in Cincinnati and sell them at farmer's markets, sell them direct to consumers and sell them wholesale, which you could not do in Pennsylvania and you could not do in Michigan. Could not start that way at the time. I don't know if anything's changed in those places. You could also could not start that way in Kentucky either at the time. So I just kind of made note of that and Michelle and I got on well and she had kind of loosely offered, you know, like, man, if you came back in June, like I could pay you, like I could hire you for the summer. And she had never like had an employee or anything or messed with that. And like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I kind of was in limbo with my job at Apple Ridge. I had that like talk with him on the phone when I was like leaving Cincinnati, I think. And my next leg of my trip was going to be in Asheville you know, kind of like approach the subject, ask for more money and like kind of like things to evolve in the manner that I, the owner of Apple Ridge and I had discussed it evolving and he wasn't sure. And I was like, you know, I'm going to Asheville for like three weeks. Like, let me know what you think. And I went to Asheville, hung out, ate a lot of food, but pretty much had like a vacation on my way out of Asheville. He called me and he was like, I don't think we're going to go that route. And -and so-and-so is going to take over your job. And I was like, okay, well, she's never been a head baker. And that's great because you're paying an entry-level salary. And okay, that's fine then. And I think I called Michelle and I was like, all right, so you really like want me to move to Cincinnati? Because I I can do that now. (laughs) That was, I got back to Pennsylvania mid-March and I moved to Cincinnati officially at the end of April that year. It was like a month and a half. And I was just, I mean, I moved here in three car trips. I had, I didn't really have much anyway, because I had planned to like relocate and like kind of figure that out. So I picked Cincinnati based on like a promise of like, I don't know. I just had a feeling I was like, you know, it really seems like it's affordable. It's a place I can start out. Like, and if it doesn't work, what's the worst that can happen? I don't have shit. Like, I'll just leave. Like I'll move somewhere else. Like I'll, you know, I'll go work as a baker somewhere else. Like there's plenty of people I know and places like I would love to go. And I know my skill set. And um, instead, like the opposite ended up happening. We had a real successful summer. She kind of like, you know, end of the summer was like, all right, like spread your wings. <laughs> like you, you should do your thing. And had Ryan help me out with some part-time employment while I was like starting my business. I would deliver before going into work at 16 bricks. And I was working like seven days a week between there and my own thing. And between like those, those were my first two people in this city that like, I really knew. And so like once I landed here and that just, you know, I kept paying my bills and like kind of got my feet wet with it. I was like, all right, like I'm going to stay, I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to stay in Cincinnati and I'm going to do this thing here. So how'd you come up with the name? 
north south bacon is just where we are where the north meets the south like we're ohio you know kentucky border here and like very much where the north meets the south like they're really that was it like don't even know why like i really latched onto that but we're in the north south <laughs> and the logo itself is very representative of the roman goddess series so she's always depicted with the poppies and the sickle and the the wheat and since I am so focused on like local sourcing, especially my grain, it just seemed like really fitting. So then you wind up launching kind of out of an incubator space, right? With the, I think it's the Incubator Kitchen Collective in Newport. Yes. How did you kind of find that spot? Was it just going around talking to people and they're like, hey, you should check this place out. They might have some space for you. When I moved here, I like you know, met some people, some friends group people. And I remember somebody, someone I still know now, uh, like mentioning like Rachel and the incubator kitchen, because they're all tied in with like the music scene and like whispering beard folk festival. I met a bunch of those people and Rachel and James from the incubator kitchen. Like there's just like this whole community down here. Like it just stretches over things. Like there's music community, there's food communities. There's like a lot of people who, you know, they all used to work for Whole Foods down here at one point in time. Like there's just all these connections and people linked up down here in different ways. And somebody I knew through the music community was like, hey, Rachel has this kitchen. And I remember like way back when, like looking at it and being like, haha, I can't afford anything. <laughs> like I'm going to continue to do stuff out of my house in Cincinnati at the time. And like, that's what I did, you know, and I think I like ended up reaching out to Rachel eventually because I was hitting that point where I was like, okay, people want stuff. Like I'm hand laminating and baking in a house and like, this isn't sustainable. Like it would take me six hours to like mix and laminate and cut and shape like a hundred croissants, you know, like I knew I was going to hit this point where I needed equipment. I didn't even really look at any other incubators. Like I didn't look at Finley. I like linked up with the incubator kitchen collective. They had a dough sheeter that was sitting in storage and probably hadn't been cleaned since the last time it was used by like the previous kitchen's owner, like 10 years before. Like, you know, we put uh, James, James helped too. And like, we put in like probably 12 hours into like cleaning that thing and like getting it like up to snuff. And then um, like, that was the thing. I was like, I need cooler space. I need a dough sheeter and I need ovens. And the incubator had all of that and very flex flexible scheduling. And so I kind of started to feel out that route. I kind of like lined it up. I was only part-time at 16 Bricks, but they like let me go in February 2018. And I was supposed to move. I was trying to go part, like move into the incubator kitchen and go like, not go full-time in my business, but like go part-time and like get going slowly. Um, and I was supposed to do that like March of 2018. And I still remember the email like I sent for Rachel and I was like, oh my God, I just lost my job. Like, you know, like I don't, I'm not, I can't like do this. I need to like 
figure out income. There was this moment in time where like I re I applied for a job at Whole Foods Market, like in that like month of time frame. And I remember like walking into that Whole Foods in Cincinnati. And I was like, if I work here, I am never ever going to like do this. I am never going to do this. I'm never going to start my business. And I walked out and like, I didn't even go to the interview. I just walked out and like, at the same time, like Rachel reached out to me and she had said like, it's more expensive now, but like at the time it was like $850 or something for like unlimited. And I just, I didn't have $850. I mean, that was more than the rent I was paying where I was living at the time. Like I didn't have that to like sign up and be like, here's my first month's rent. And she worked with me and she was like, can you just pay us weekly? And I was like, yeah, I can pay you 200 bucks a week. Like, I know that I have this wholesale account starting and like this other account starting. And then April, 2018, I was going to be starting in the Covington farmer's market. And I remember thinking like, by that point, this shouldn't be a problem. I should be making at least like five or $600 a week. <laughs> like I was like, I think, you know, especially if I'm doing a farmer's market, because in my mind, I was like, I could probably do like 400, $500 at the farmer's market, I bet, you know, because uh, there was no baker in that market. And again, like it was Covington, Kentucky. So like I was living in Cincinnati. So part of this was also you can't bake at your home in Ohio and sell across state lines. So I wasn't able to legally bake in Cincinnati and sell in Kentucky. But at this, during this first, you know, year that I had lived here, I had noticed like people come over from Northern Kentucky to Cincinnati to get stuff. But like, if they don't have to, they're very loyal to Northern Kentucky. And I had, you know, it's like, I knew there was other bakeries and like other stuff that was happening in Cincinnati, um, other things that were going to be opening up. So I already mentally was like, Hmm, Northern Kentucky though, like nobody's doing shit there. Like, why don't, you know, like I've always kind of been like that. I'm like, all right, what's going on over here? Okay, cool. But like, is there, you know, a little more space over here I can operate in? And, you know, it's just not saturated even now, like Northern Kentucky, like there's really no, nobody down here is doing what in my area is doing what I'm doing five days a week. Like there is no other bakery open in Northern Kentucky that sells what I sell five days a week. Like I like noticed that and like kind of made that, that choice. And I had a bunch of wholesale accounts lined up in Cincinnati that I knew I was going to need the space and equipment for. And I just kind of like ran with it in the kitchen. And then, yeah, I mean, I think I paid Rachel weekly for like maybe two months. And then after that, it was just, I had to hire somebody after that. Like it just blew up. Just the first Covington farmer's market, I sold out. <laughs> and I like, I think I made $500 that first market. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause you originally started, you know, mainly doing wholesaling. Is that harder than retail? Because, you know, you're also a salesperson too, where you're trying to get these accounts and trying to get like into a farmer's market. I think you got to apply and get approved and all that stuff too, as well. Or is it easier? Or is it just different? Wholesale is only harder because you make a lower profit margin and you have to deliver. And like the market was easy to get into. Um, connecting with customers and talking to people, love talking to people. So like that was great. Like and the community down here and in, in this area, like Cincinnati area, is just really supportive. Like people really want to know what you're doing. They want to know your story. They like care about if they're shopping you or they're shopping in a farmer's market, they typically want to hear your story. They care about what's going on and they care about like your background and like 
They care about what they're, what they're buying from you. Markets are a hassle. I mean, yeah, you got to like pack up, you got to set up, you got to like break down, you're out there in all the weather. I was definitely undercutting myself price wise, but I didn't even know like what to charge. And then as wholesale grew, it was its own monster. And then like markets grew, they were their own monster. And it was like having two different businesses. We had like 25 wholesale accounts before COVID, before everything shut down. I had in January, 2020, I had like four full-time employees, which was the most employees I ever had. Um, And that kind of grew because of wholesale, because I had three bakes a week and like deliveries and everything else. And then we're in, you know, like Usually it was in two to three markets a week at that point. And my markets were big. And there was a time I like delivered wholesale on Saturday mornings. At, like I baked everything Friday night, popped everything and then delivered before going to the farmer's market. And like, I don't even know how I did that. I'm still tired. Like, I swear to God, I used to bake and then bake till like late and then like sleep and then or sleep for like four hours and get up and deliver and like go home and sleep for four hours and then go back to the kitchen. Like it was just this nonstop thing. And I'm still, I swear to God, I'm still tired. Like it's crazy. It's funny because like there was a point in time where we didn't do any wholesale. Like after COVID, I shrank down. It was me and two full-time people. And when we were operating during 2020 and then into 2021, I didn't offer wholesale anymore. I was like, we're not, I'm focused on direct customer sales because at that point in time, people were buying directly and like buying a lot. So it made sense financially. And when my first like foray into wholesale ended, I realized it was like creating cash flow, but really wasn't creating any profit for me. So that is like, I think profit with wholesale is a huge challenge depending on, it really depends on how you do it. And like now we're doing wholesale again, we're doing, we've been increasing it a bunch, but it's working for me now because like I've restructured it and I'm like happy I've gotten to look at it and like be able to restructure it in a way that that works for us. So like you mentioned, when the pandemic kind of happens and everything shuts down, your wholesale business pretty much dries up. I think people don't realize, you know, when they look back on it too, how the pandemic and shutdown affected wholesale. There's no restaurants open, so they don't need products from farms. You know, they had a bunch of leftover stuff that they were trying to go direct to consumer with and wholesale bakers like yourself at that time. So what did you wind up kind of doing during that period? We pivoted like right away. Like I pivoted. Like I I mean, I didn't even know. It was the scariest thing. It changed a lot of how I am emotionally tied into my business because at that point in time, a lot of my identity was tied to my business. And when everything shut down and like everything got scary, it really affected me and like my mental health and my personal self in a way that like was not healthy at all. And I never realized how emotionally attached I was to my business, but it, I mean, it's a passion project. It's like, it's a baby. It's a child. Like this business is a child I've raised over five years now, but that's not necessarily the best way to handle it and like run it. So that it changed a lot in me. And then we 
wholesale shut down and all the coffee shops were shutting down. Um, I had to fire somebody like right before that. So I just did not replace him. And then I had somebody else leave also during that time frame. So my staff shrunk down to just me plus two people. And we pretty much focused on, I think we were only in the Covington farmers market at that time, but people were shopping the market so heavily. They just got huge. Like it was so big. We couldn't even like, I guess I should backtrack that time frame between the middle of March, 2020 and the end of April, 2020. Middle of March was when everything shut down, shut down, like businesses, retail, everything was closed. Our indoor winter market was closed. We no longer had a market. We actually worked a bunch of like midnights at the incubator kitchen, trying to just avoid working with a lot of people at the time, even so we could produce when there weren't, weren't as many people in that kitchen. And I immediately just pivoted to home deliveries. I was like, what are we going to do? Like people want stuff, like put it on in my story. I didn't even have like a mapping program. Like there's free ones, which I found but like we never did deliveries we never did household deliveries before that we're not that's not my business model I pivoted and like immediately just put it out on social media and the response was insane like I think we got like 120 orders in like 24 hours and for pastries and for bread to be like made and delivered and then we had to figure out how to deliver all of those orders after we made everything and it was like it was just chaos and like my employees rolled with it and none of us knew what we were doing but it was like all we have is like each other and our families and like our small friends groups so we just like rolled with it we really didn't know what to do um so we did that for a little bit like kept cutting off orders having a i think i started capping orders at like 75 or something and like we would all go out on routes and deliver like northern kentucky cincinnati i downloaded some kind of routing software so we weren't just like crisscrossing and google and like figuring shit out because i mean we didn't we pivoted before anybody else did like in that kitchen i remember somebody making a comment about it i was like i don't know i have bills to pay i don't have any investors i didn't have any seed money when i started this business like i had maybe a thousand dollars that i spent on ingredients and some supplies when I started like there was nothing like everything this business yields and profit just goes back into it and then you know buys another piece of equipment or like buys more ingredients um and it's been like that since the beginning so even when they were doing PPP loans I mean we got one but you didn't get it till like the summer like that wasn't figured out like my nobody was waving my rent at my house <laughs> like I, you know nobody was like waving my my like car payment or like anything uh so there was a it was just like survival and also like mentally like just being like oh we got to keep working like we just got to keep moving forward we got to keep baking so we did that and then we did that through easter easter was right before my birthday my birthday is the middle of april i remember we closed after easter weekend we were closed like probably that last two weeks or so in april um because the outdoor farmers market season was starting in may and we knew like we would be good to go selling outside so that was just like you know really crazy month and then just having a like two-week kind of like quarantine break that was all that we even shut down for like the whole time and then we went into market season kept up the pre-orders which we still do pre-orders to this day but 
unless it's a holiday, like we don't get a lot. I get maybe 20 pre-orders a week right now. We used to like guess have to cap it at like 75 because it, it was just like excessive to pack that many boxes and like handle that level of pickup. And then we'd still be selling retail at the farmer's market. So that summer, like when I look at my, my sales reports and like square, it's crazy. Cause it's like our sales just were like up, 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 up. And then like once things with COVID, like when things started opening up and like people started getting more comfortable with going indoors again, you know, like we saw that curve start to drop again and it's like, just been right, you know, rode that wave throughout, throughout that next year. Then at the end, you know, of last year, you wind up opening your brick and mortar spot, which is in Covington. You partnered up with Burkus Brewing Company. So you guys kind of share the spot where you guys are in there in the morning and then they use it as like a tap room at night. How difficult was it to find that location? Well, I mean, I'm lucky. That was Paul. Paul from Burkus. Like he found that location. I knew about that location. That I had been in there previously when it had other tenants. I had never been upstairs, but I knew it was like no one can really afford that space on their own if they're like not operating like all the hours possible <laughs> because it's an expensive spot and like it makes so much sense to share it. That whole second floor in that building is a bakery kitchen and the last the last bakery that was in there had done a lot of electrical upgrades, had moved in a whole bunch of equipment. Um, that equipment was still there. And so when we were moving in, we both purchased equipment off of one of the previous owners of the business that had been in there because, you know, he was sitting on like $20,000 worth of equipment. And he's like, we don't, what am I going to do with this? Like I can sell it to you guys. Or if you don't want it, I'll sell it elsewhere. I bought a lot of equipment um, that was there. I mean, just freezers, proofers, like ovens. Um, there was smallwares and other stuff. I had a storage unit of tables and like racks and things that I had accumulated from auctions. And so the space was very turnkey. Birkus built out the bottom. They did the bar set up and like, that's their aesthetic downstairs. I mean, you know, their main thought was like, we want a tap room. We want to do pizza because they were already doing pizza in Ludlow and they wanted to have that space. They don't need much space upstairs. Like they have a prep table that's designated as theirs. You know, we share mixers, we share a walk-in cooler, but even their ingredient space isn't when we're there, there's like four or five of us upstairs, you know, we're all over that kitchen upstairs. Like it's all of our tons of uh, ingredients and like other equipment and everything. Um, but yeah, Paul just literally approached me one day on Ludlow and was like, Hey, I rented the old Pepe Cucina space, like in Covington. <laughs> Do you want to move in? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I, we can figure out. I already knew what the rent was for that space. So mentally I was like, even if we're paying half, Yes, because I was literally at my wit's end. Like I, that summer was really rough. I was burnt out. Like I was really, really, really burnt out. We were in four farmer's markets. I had expanded again to like five employees. The market hustle is great, but the seasonality, the 
constant expanding and contracting is not like suited to growth. I haven't said this a lot. Like I really haven't said this a lot publicly, but like I literally didn't know like what I was going to do like with my business. I was like, I may just have to quit. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like I had multiple employees who had given me notice that were like planning to leave that had been pretty long-term employees and they had been like really flexible. So that was the thing, How, you know, hiring employees and having growth and like places for them to continue to grow with the business is really important. Having people that are flexible when you have to shut down in January and February and just be like, I don't have any work for you. Like that's what the business model I was operating on. That's not sustainable. I had people that were leaving the company anyway. And then I was just kind of already dealing with that mental like anguish of like, how do I hire somebody who's going to stay and like grow with this company? If this company keeps expanding and contracting, like how do I hire to get help through the holidays and then be like, yeah, in January, I'm not gonna have any hours for you. And we're not going to be open because the farmer's markets are dead. And like, you know, at that point, the end of 2021, like we still didn't have a retail Like we didn't have that consistency that like other bakeries that opened in brick and mortars, other bakeries that were doing well, like, you know, you had that leg up because they had the retail consistency, the day to day. And that's the thing. I knew people would buy from us. I knew we had such a dedicated and consistent customer base that I was like, if we open our doors in Covington, where I have been selling for four years now, people are going to come. They're going to come. Like we need a space and people are going to come if we have it. And I mean, I just, that was just like serendipitous. Like, and I don't think anybody knew really that I was struggling and like was really at that mental breaking point at that point in time. Like maybe like very close people to me, but like nobody like knew that. Like I just, it was really, it was really killing me. (laughs) And you know, like you want to grow, you want to keep evolving and I couldn't fathom how I was ever going to get the lending and like support that I needed to actually build out the other building that I have sitting in Ludlow also because that was a big part of this decision was like I need consistent sales consistent growth on paper like banks banks don't care that you kill it six months out of the year Like they're like, oh, you're, I mean, my business literally grew every single year. My business even grew in 2020, which disqualified me from any further help outside of the first PPP loan. So that sucked because I actually grew slightly on paper because people were seeking us out more. In my mind, I was just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. How the hell do I bridge this gap? If like, I don't have the capability to reach people and like consistency to have somewhere people can show up every day. So it was just like, Paul just jumped. Like, I don't know. He impulsively rented that space. Like he didn't ask me beforehand and he didn't even know, like he didn't know I was at my wits end either. He knew I was delayed and like, and making any progress in the space in Ludlow. So he knew I was in a tight spot, but it's not like we were buddies and like he had any of that insight, but it just worked. It was too perfect. Like it hand in hand, like they wanted, they wanted that outlet outside of Ludlow and like I needed stability. So it really just, it was completely serendipitous. Do you think more businesses 
you know, kind of your size independent businesses where they have a handful of employees or, or less, maybe we'll do or look at partnerships where it's one space, but you know, you can kind of split up the hours. Cause like there's a, a restaurant we went to a couple years ago out in Massachusetts in Cambridge and it's a tasting menu restaurant with like a squared counter, but they're in the back of a brewery. And it's like this shared space thing. And it always just made a bunch of sense to me where it's like, if you only need the space for like half the time, like find somebody else. Do you think more people do that? Or is that still just a long way away? I think they will. I mean, I think it's an, it's almost like the necessity to some extent. Like, I think that's a great way to bridge the like leap between being in an incubator kitchen and going into like your own brick and mortar space. This wasn't planned. I thought I was going to be opening my own spot. God, I'm so fucking glad that didn't happen that way because like, holy shit, this is just like a trial run for everything. I mean, just, you know, you move an established business and you think like, you know what you're doing. And then like you got in a new space and new hours and a new schedule and, and then everything you're making like product wise is just even acting different and like it all changes. And so like having that shared space and not having to like foot all of the bills yourself, like not having to like figure out all of the things on your own was just so beneficial when it came to just things like just operating things, just stuff like, oh, we need an electrician. Like, oh, you have one? Great. Cause I don't have one. Like, yeah, I think it's a great way to get like your feet under you, see what works, see what systems work. And the, even for us, like I've been testing a lot of things. It's great to have the outlet to test like NSBC 2.0. Like, you know, we, yeah, we do pastries, we do croissants, you know, we've been doing that. We've been doing bread for years, but the building in Ludlow that I have, I mean, that's supposed to be bakery, pastry, you know, soup, salad, sandwich, like espresso, like coffee, like kind of situation. I can't imagine having made that big of a jump and like have to figure out all of those things <laughs> on top of just being in a new space and different hours and all of that. Like, it's interesting because of course, moving into the brick and mortar in Covington on Pike Street, like it came with its own learning curve, which was way, just way more of a curve than I expected. Not that I thought it was going to be easy, but our, there was so much more to work out than I ever anticipated. And it really is great. I think the pop-up culture, like sharing a space, like all of that, it's so good because you also build those connections with people and like build your community and your support groups through that and through your exposure to people at different places. Where are you at with the Ludlow location? Like you said, you kind of want it to be an all-day cafe kind of situation. I mean, that's the area that you've always wanted to open a place in. You know, it's a standalone. Is it just construction delays, essentially? I have a gap in my financing. That's like, even now is just a whole situation. I'm still not resolved on. Basically, in 2019, you know, like there was an organization that believed enough in me to be like, yeah, we'll help you buy this building and uh, help fund you. And then like, I mean, 
I was not ready for that, like at all. But I also was like, well, that was the only building I really ever wanted to do this in. Um, it just seemed right. And it's in my community. Like I live in Ludlow, Kentucky. And like, there's a great community here. There's not a lot of food. It's three years later. And like, there's still not a lot of food here. There's nowhere to get like soup salad sandwich, like in the middle of the day, really. That was a train wreck from the start because I was just naive, like, I just didn't know. Like, I'm a baker. I know how to do a lot with running a kitchen and running a business. I know how to connect with people. I really didn't have a clear vision at the time. Like, I knew what I just told you, like, bakery space. Like, I can tell you all the ins and outs that, like, I wanted it set up, like, for production and, like, what we were going to sell there. When it comes to, like, financing and lending and contractors and all of that shit, like, I, I mean, I feel better about those things now, but didn't know much then. Unfortunately, got connected with a contractor through a friend. They pretty much underbid the project. So I would take it or like take their bid. And then they also ripped me off and like basically misused about $50,000 worth of funds for my loan. That is a lawsuit that is currently pending. Like my attorney emailed me the affidavit today that like I need to go back over. Like didn't know what I was getting myself into, I really got taken advantage of. Not only did I end up with a gap in my financing, I ended up with a construction loan that is was too little anyway. It's one of those things where like at the time it was all happening and I was like, this is so cool. Like, I can't believe this is like kind of being handed to me. Like, hey, this building, hey, we're gonna, okay, go through all these hoops. Like, let's give you a mortgage for this building and a construction loan and like work with these contractors. But I thought it was good. I was naive and like, just didn't really know what I was getting into and ended up, you know, getting fucked over by somebody who didn't do any, pretty much any of the fucking work that they took money for. There was other hands involved in that. And like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's being sorted out with that. So then the whole process was like, oh yeah, you need to get funded for the gap in your financing. You try going to like, an SBA lender on a farmer's market, like income schedule. And like, they don't care. Like I got like laughed at by somebody and I was kind of like, well, fuck you. Like (laughs) I'm just going to never work with this bank again. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's more resources and I've been connected to people since then. Um, but I haven't sorted any of that out. Like I am just at this point now where we're hitting a year in the brick and mortar. I am getting financials figured out, like getting reports run and like things tracked. I thought like six months into doing this, I would be like in a place where I could like start reapplying for financing. But six months into opening my brick and mortar, I was still working like 80 hours a week like figuring everything out in the kitchen and like how to run it and like all of that. So now we're hitting a year and just this summer, like was the first time everything finally like really clicked in the production. And like I hired a fourth baker. So I have four full-time bakers and a full-time counter staff person right now, Um, which was the first time the entire time I've had this business that it actually removed me from day-to-day production. So, which is also amazing because the quality coming out of the kitchen is just like the best it's ever been. And I have never been more proud of like the team I have working for me and like they support me and like understand me and like I support them and understand them. And I like 
am so grateful that they're passionate and they want to work for me and like learn from me, but also that like they can take the wheel in so many situations, which I really did this summer. Well, I really stepped back from the kitchen to like focus on tying up loose ends and like tidying things up on the back end of the business and getting like more plans and things in place to like move forward. So I currently don't have a solution. I haven't reapplied for the funding, the financing. I need that. Like I'm like seeking out those resources. There's a lot of struggles going on in that area right now. It feels like it's all coming to a head and it's been really stressful. Like that has been the most stressful thing going on right now in my life. Like everything is so smooth at the kitchen, like in the bakery. Everything is great at the markets. Like all of the products I put on the table, I get like misty eyed about because I'm like, oh, this just looks like I made it. Like this is exactly what I want. Like the quality is amazing. Like the consistency is amazing. I've never felt like I actually had all of that foundation under me though, where I could actually like make that next step. Like if you're trying to open a second place and like you barely have your shit figured out at your first, like that's a recipe for disaster. Like even same thing with going back to like, if I had opened that in the end of 2019, 2020 happened like and COVID and like, had I been in there when that happened, like, I don't even know. I don't know if I would have survived. Like, I don't, I really don't know if we were in that building and like that brick and mortar and trying to build everything about the business at that point. Like, I don't know if we would have made it through 2020, through COVID. I really don't know. It's not a good situation, but I still find like the bright side of it because, because you have to, (laughs) but, and it's the truth. It's like, I go with the flow a lot. It's like, all right, you know, this wasn't working out for some reason and it's still there. And like now I actually have really just have such a strong vision and like an actual plan. And I feel like people coming into my life that can like help me get there. But like the financing end of things is the part that like, I just don't even know really. I just don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I am never afraid to say that I don't fucking know what I'm doing because that's just straight up honesty. Like, I don't try to pretend I know what I'm doing if I don't know what I'm doing. Bridging the gap in financing is what I'm hoping I can make happen out of like our insane growth over year over year because being open in a bakery five days a week in January this year of 2021 meant we were grossing what we were at the height of our market season last year when we weren't in a brick and mortar. So like the sales consistency is there, but at the same time, I just, I have this fear, but it's like, I think I'm just in a very different situation than most people find themselves in. I started this business with no seed money. There's no investors. There's no business partners. I'm still an LLC. I'm not even an S-corp. I'm not even on payroll. Like I take draws as I can from the business. As much as I have been grateful to not have investors to pay out towards at certain points in time, and I feel like it's let me grow things and focus on my employees and my team and my staffing and kind of like let me dictate a lot of things um, that have been beneficial. It's like also not beneficial because it's not like you start a business and 
you're just like banking money. I mean, the only year I was in the red because I've been in the black like four out of these five years. The only year my business came up in the red was 2020. And I think I was like five grand in the hole or something. Like, so like my business is sustainable. There's a model there, but there's, it's not like I'm just socking away money. It's hard. And I'm like at this point where I think about investors. I I don't have any business partner plans. There's nobody that's ever been involved in the business or like been in my life that I think would have been a good fit or like really showed any kind of interest or promise in that. But like, I'm trying to like feel out investors and like investing and what that looks like and the different ways you can do that. Because I just don't know. Like, and I have other friends who have businesses and I pick people's brains on these things. And it just seems like everybody's got a different thing. Like it worked out differently for everyone. So I'm very much like, kind of at a crossroad where I kind of think I need to start taking some other people's like investing like in the business or something. Um, But I'm also like, I think I was never here before because I didn't feel confident in the business as much, like kind of just a lot of imposter syndrome when like now I'm like, no, 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 this shit's working. Like we're good. Like we're good. And I got a vision and I got a plan and like, there's some things where I'm hoping we're going to launch in January. And like, I've kind of got like, like as far as menu stuff is concerned and like other items, like more lunchy things. Cause we've been messing around with things here and there. Um, and I kind of like have some other people coming on right now that are going to help me map out some of that next step stuff that I don't have experience in. Like, um, when it comes to figuring out how to like start this other product line or like figuring out how to like be able to like work that into production. And like, how does that look like more like kitcheny shit? Like I never worked in a kitchen. I've only worked in bakery kitchens and I've never worked anywhere that did a lot of like food focused stuff. Even if it's just like a schedule of like soups and sandwiches and like that kind of menu stuff. So I'm looking for some help with that. And I have somebody who should be able to help me with some of that. And then I have someone else that's starting to take some admin duties off of me and like helping organize some stuff in the back end that like is going to help other things run smoothly um, in other areas. Because my skill is social media, marketing, you know, selling at markets, talking to customers, running the kitchen, like product development, recipe development. Like I want to be in the kitchen. I want to be at markets. I want to continue to focus on those things and the creative development because the majority of what we make just comes out of my brain. I don't know. I'll be standing there staring at something at the farmer's market. And I'm like, Oh, what if we like do this? And if we like roast Anaheim's and tomatillos, and then we can puree it and we can make this savory Danish kind of in the style. We make the sweet Danishes where we're doing like stuff that like menu inspiration stuff. Like that's what I'm good at having awesome employees like helps with all of that. But like retaining employees is part of that work. Like you want to keep building like a positive environment for people. So like, I feel like that's what I need to focus on. So I'm trying to like feel out that next step. Like, I, I don't know. We definitely need that space because of production growth. 
like ideally we would move the majority of the production to Ludlow because of the way the space is set up down there. And we would just, we would keep the brick and mortar in Covington, but we wouldn't do all the production there. Um, but we would still have a retail spot to work out of and sell out of. So I hope, like, I really, there's a lot of things in the air with that Ludlow spot right now, but like, I am grasping onto it because it's, it's going to happen. It's just kind of like seeing how all the pieces like fall back together for it. So one thing that's pretty unique about your business your baked goods is you guys use a lot of local ingredients, like probably way more than anybody else does. So what all do you guys get from surrounding farms? Obviously probably like milk, butter, eggs. What else do you incorporate? There's a lot of local sourcing. Um, I love talking to farmers and going to farms and like connecting with them at markets. And um, yeah, like you said, local milk, local eggs, which we've always used. Actually, that's one of the things that's interesting too, with all of the price increases and supply issues um, that a lot of people in this industry have dealt with over the last like couple of years. Um, like eggs, you know, a lot of people, their eggs have like doubled in price. I've been paying the same for the local eggs that I get. I've been paying that for like three years now. It was always higher than like the conventional farmed stuff. It didn't fluctuate like nearly as much as like everybody's, you know, like $20 case eggs, like went up to like 50 or something, I think. And like, we were already paying 50 bucks for a case of eggs. So that was interesting to see happen. And like, same with milk, like our milk didn't really change in price. Um, Those are things we order from local distributors, even some of our flour, because we use a lot of flour from Janie's Mill, which I am just absolutely in love with them. And like Harold, uh, the, you know, the farmer and like guy who started the whole company. And they're just such great people. They're out in Illinois. They grow a lot of their wheat. It's organic. It's mostly organic grains that they deal with, that they grow. Um, they source some, I think, regionally out there as well, but they farm a lot of it themselves organic stone ground flour. A lot of our breads are 100% Janie's Mill flour. And then there's some that are more like maybe 75% Janie's Mill because we're still using King Arthur and some things. But Janie's Mill, like their flour went up, but not much. Like it's still very fairly priced for being organic like regionally grown stone ground flour. Um, considering I've used that type of grain, uh, like at Apple Ridge, we sourced from like farmer ground and Champlain milling. And like, I remember back then a bag of organic flour was 55 bucks for 50 pounds, you know? And I think it's less than a dollar a pound for like their bread flour, I believe from Janie's Mill. So their stuff was pretty consistent. Um, the other things I sourced, you know, produce and like as much fruit as we can get while it's in season. I would like to eventually hoard more fruit, but we need a walk-in freezer to do that. But as much as I can fit at the space we're in now, which is like a bunch of reach-in freezers and chest freezers, um, we we hoard it while we can. But yeah, so I'm always sourcing local honey. Um, I work with uh, Sinsoy, which is an awesome company that's come up in the last couple of years that is making really great tofu and like soy based products in Cincinnati. Um, and he's also sourcing from like 
Ohio, you know, these like local Ohio grown soybeans, which apparently are some of the best ones for making tofu. So we work with Sinsoy, you know, there's various like people that we get local honey from. Of course, the seasonal fruit in a lot of the year, I work with McGlasson's farm over here in Hebron, Kentucky. Uh, They're like a sixth generation family farm. I mean, it's just cool because over these years of knowing people, I've seen everybody grow. Like they really took like the reins again at that farm and they started planting berries and, you know, different kinds of berries. They started planting strawberries. They are doing like, their goal was like, Hey, yeah, we're going to plant blueberries. And like in three years, we're going to offer you pick blueberries because there's nowhere right here to do that. And they did that and they are just blowing up. Like they are busy all season and they never used to have strawberries. They didn't used to have blueberries or blackberries. They have a huge orchard of apples and peaches and like they make amazing cider they grow a little bit of everything though so like you can go to their farm stand and get tomatoes you can get kale you can get corn so in the summer lots of times I'll just go down there on like a Monday and like just load up (laughs) on stuff and they're just so well they're so great like they know me and they're just like always checking in with me and so happy to like get rid of, you know, like 30 pounds of like bruised tomatoes or something that like I want because we'll roast and like cut up and process any bit of produce during the season that we can get locally. We got locally also backyard orchard, which is out of rising sun, Indiana. Um, I've been in a couple markets with Dennis over the years and we ended up next to each other this year at one of our markets. And we're just like totally bonding like the whole time, like just cool dude. And that made that easy too. Cause then I'm like, Oh yeah, you got, you got a bushel of pears. Like, can I just get those now? Like, you know, it's like market shopping is just the best. Like I love going to markets and walking around and being like, okay, they've got like all this Swiss chart left. Well, let's like make a deal. And like, then we're going to use this in something and then creates another menu item that I can like showcase another farm's produce and um, Rich Life Farm. They're just fucking killing the mushroom game. Like their mushrooms are so beautiful and they are awesome people. Again, another set of young farmers who came back to Cincinnati in the last few years and started their business. There are so many people in farming, in food, restaurants, bakeries, like There's so many people out here that either come back or come here in the last like, you know, four or five years and been like, hey, we're going to we're going to do this here, you know, that have been living in other places and picked this area because of the same reasons that I picked this area. Like the tomatoes, you know, from McGlasson's, the pears from Backyard Orchard. We have plums from Holmeyer Orchard, which is another orchard in Cincinnati. They produce amazing plums. I can't say I ever really used plums and baking until I was out here. And I think I got some at a market that I was at once and just messed, like they're so tasty. They're like an Italian prune plum called like, a, I think it's the Stanley variety, um, very dark skinned and like 
oblong and you slice them in half and they're like a lighter flesh inside and the pit falls out pretty easily um and like that was the very first time I ever filled a cruffin with jam was with plum jam in 2018 like again it's just another thing that sparks some kind of creativity in me where I'm like oh I made this awesome plum jam let's put it in a cruffin like let's see what happens here and then that was just like the start of a lot of things <laughs> because cruffins are such a good vehicle for that stuff. And I was always thinking like, hey, if I could fill these, this would be great. So that started that. And then like now what we end up with like five different kinds of like filled ones on the menu, like or four different kinds of filled ones, one kind that's not filled <laughs> right now. But um, there's just such an endless like array of produce down here like it's such a great it, it's a great season it's a long season like you get a good spring you get a fall harvest you get like there's I still got a ton of tomatoes at market this weekend and it's October like it's a long season so that that's really nice and just the fact that there are so many orchards and you know McGlasson's also produces peaches god they grow like the best peaches when I was in Michigan I remember being super surprised that I was in an area that was considered like the fruit belt because Michigan's a huge agricultural producer and so many apples and like pears and stone fruit. And, you know, there's so much grown up there. So it's nice to still kind of like still get that down here um, and be able to have access to um, so many kinds of great local locally grown produce because of like the varied, you know, climate and like seasons in this region. What's kind of like the one baked good that you guys have on the menu that you're most proud of? Like the thing that you're known for, you would say. Oh God, that's the preference. Hands down. Like we, yeah, croissant is definitely in the backbone of my business. Um, we make great bread, very, you know, crunchy, like or, organic stone ground sourdough. People who love our bread, love our bread because there's not a lot else out here that's similar. Other great sourdough bread, yes. But ours is a little, little more whole grainy and crunchy. Uh, pastry, though, croissant was what I kind of fell in love with. Um, again, just another like process, another interesting process. Uh, lots of variables involved and lots of learning curve. But the flavor, um, like I've developed my recipe to be very resilient and like work really well um for the conditions we're working in like it's adaptable like like I mentioned when we moved into this brick and mortar everything changed man we were having a hell of a time our whole croissant process changed we we're having so much consistency issues and it was really hard because the the cruffins specifically like that was what I wanted to sell here. I noticed Cincinnati gets behind food. Like Cincinnati lines up for food. People line up for beer releases here. People line up for bread. They line up for specialty food items. And when I moved here, nobody was making cruffins. There weren't really a lot of, I don't even know. I think Blue Oven was making croissants at the time when I was out, when I moved here and started. But like, there really wasn't an, an um, Baudry, Frederick Baudry, like he's been in business a long time. Um, they were doing croissants, but I don't know if anybody else was really doing much croissant pastry. Um, so I had been like, yeah, I want to do croissants, but I really want to do cruffins. So the first time I made a cruffin was like very early 2018. Um, and it was just sugared and it was just about figuring out like 
the shaping and like the proofing and baking of it. And I messed around with it. And then like fall of 2018 was when I finally was like, all right, we're doing these. And I started making them for the farmer's market, Covington farmer's market. And I remember baking all my lacrofins and like muffin tins at the time. And they were just like kind of unruly. Uh, we would sugar them. I'd take like 80 to the farmer's market on a Saturday and sell all of them. In addition to all the other pastries we were making, um, because it's croissant, like a cruffin is just a croissant in a different shape. It's cut differently. It's rolled up differently. It's baked in a muffin tin. It's got a silly name attached to it. But like, it's a great vehicle for seasonal flavors and fillings. Um, it expands really nicely. I think why I like them is because with them being proofed and baked in a muffin pan, they get a little taller and bigger and lighter than a regular croissant. So I messed around with that recipe or method for a while. I accidentally won like 50 of these extra large muffin pans in an auction because I bid on like, five, there was five lots of 10. The auction was from Shadow Bakery, which was, you know, a renowned Cincinnati bakery for years that everybody grew up with. Um, I didn't think I was going to win all the lots, but they were only like two bucks a pan. So I was like, I know these pans. I was like, whatever, I can always sell them. These pans are like $45 each. Like, so... I won all these pans and I was like, well, we're making everything in these pans now. So I like adjusted the sizing on like the cruffin, like the pastry we were cutting and like kind of tweaked it. I mean, it took a while and then like, it was like, okay, cool. Now, yeah, worked out that sizing thing. So we use these pans. I mean, we use those pans for some other stuff too, but not much. I mean, it's pretty much, they're pretty much, we call them cruffin pans. We literally just call them cruffin pans at the bakery. Um, so ended up with all these pans and was like, all right, can I use all these? Um, and like, it just kind of evolved from there. The second we started filling them, people just started like flipping shit, like, because everybody loves something filled, I guess. Um, and yeah, it was like, okay, we did a sugar, you know, sugar plum was like the first one that I ever did. And it's just like the plums from Holmeyer Orchard, like in a jam, you know, cooked down into a jam form pureed. Like it's just sugar. There's nothing else like, you know, and starch, like nothing else is added to that, um, to that jam. There's no like spices or anything. And those took off. And then I was like, okay, I guess like, let's do an apple butter. Like, let's start, you know, start doing this. And I don't, remember I could probably figure it out I like don't really remember what my first uh filled and topped one was because we that we in-house we call them ultimate cruffins we don't call them that like I feel like maybe on the website I might have said that at one point in time but um yeah like we do uh ones that are filled with more like a cream filling a pastry cream or custard or like a diplomat cream or something and then like topped glazed in some manner um those are the ones everybody goes nuts for um so now we typically have one one or two of those kinds we'll rotate those flavors every two to four weeks depending what's going on and then we have the other jam filled ones we run um which also rotate seasonally and then we have the plain one so like right now on the menu we have sugar cruffins which are plain we have plum jam we have apple butter 
And we have lemon because people just love lemon. So we have a lemon curd recipe that we make and um, combine with some pastry cream. And then we, we fill, you know, a lemon cruffin that is just rolled in sugar. Still like by far one of our most popular sellers. Um, and then the, the ultimate cruffin of sorts, which has the, the more like elaborate filling and topping. Uh, right now we have a chai cream cruffin. So that's a chai spiced pastry cream and it's folded with whipped cream. So that's technically like a diplomat cream. And then it has a little bit of plain glaze, a couple of flowers, um, and a little bit of bee pollen on top. And so that's what people are after right now. They will switch. Um, we do pumpkin pie cruffins in November always. I don't start pumpkin on the menu till like almost Halloween. <laughs> Maybe I'm biased. I'm just like, I'm not as into it. So we always go like late summer, early fall. And then like, we just started having some pumpkin, like um, we had some pumpkin caramel meringue tarts on the menu this week in the shop. This is the first time we sold anything pumpkin this year. <laughs> and so uh, in November, we'll do pumpkin pie cruffins, which is pumpkin butter. So that's, you know, like roasted pumpkin or butternut squash filling that is spiced and like cooked with brown sugar. And then we'll take that pumpkin butter and we'll mix it with a pastry cream. And it literally just tastes like pumpkin pie. Cause that was something I was like, how do we make fillings that like pumpkin pie is a custard, but it's raw and then it's cooked inside the pie. Like that I really like kind of solving that, like, how do we do this? How do we get this mouthfeel, this flavor in this manner in like, but make it a different method. So it works for the pastry that we're creating. Um, we do those and we top them with meringue and like, those are just off the hook, like all of November, people just go nuts for them. And yeah, it tastes like pumpkin pie. <laughs> like I think cruffins are definitely our signature item. People know what they are. They know us for the cruffins specifically, but it's not like we can stop making anything else because we make like two dozen kinds of croissant pastry between like the classic items, you know, almond and chocolate, and you have classic croissants. And we have like a maple cinnamon like twist. Now we have a uh, pistachio rose, which was a one-off that people latched onto. So it was like, okay, well, this is on the menu now. That's like an almond croissant, but it's a roasted pistachio for in Japan with some plain glaze on top and some rose petals and crushed pistachio and people just love it. Like, and I, I love that they latch onto things and want us to keep making it. So what's next for North South, aside from obviously trying to get the Ludlow location resolved with all the legal stuff going on there, but is it just continuing to kind of push new menu items, new products out, stuff like that at the current location? Pretty much. We were closed for fall break and I kind of got a vacation in, like went up to Michigan. I just hung out in an Airbnb and rode my bike and like ate food and saw some old friends and like had time for my brain to kind of like level out. And I really came back with like a strong vision of what I want to do and like how I want to get there and what I want to execute. Um, 
North South Baking has always been focused on, you know, building the bridge between the farms that we source from and the communities that we serve. Um, I really, I have been more active in the community since I've been in Covington through just a lot of that also has to do with cycling. I'm involved with a lot of people in the cycling community and like a lot of different things I've gotten to contribute to through the business and like help support um, within the Covington community or speak out about or like you know, uh, be involved in. Um, yeah, there's going to be more food. Uh, I think there's kind of kind of an endless menu in my head. <laughs> that, and there's a lot of people who work for me that are really excited to like bring other things to the table too. Um, we're going to get more refined at the shop that we're in, uh, tighten up things in January. I want to kind of launch like the NSBC deli and like have more, more food items available. Um, there's still like a hole in that community also for like a solid grab and go lunch spot, um, with like fresh, healthy things that are prepared. Um, we do breakfast sandwiches there and that was something I've wanted to do for years. Love a breakfast sandwich. Like Grew up, you know, eating a bagel, like bacon, egg and cheese or ham, egg and cheese on a bagel, like in New Jersey, like, or a hard roll, like something like that. And they're always like real steamy. Like you go to the bodega and like, they're like wrap them up and they're steamy. And when we eventually, like shortly after being in the brick and mortar, I was like, all right, we're doing breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> and like, like it's a cooked egg, like, like a egg bake type situation. And we like preset them up and like wrap them and reheat them. And we use, um, croissant dough for the buns. We make like a twist, like a knot out of the bun and, um, do an egg bake. We use, uh, there's this blend of cheeses that we do, which we call savory cheese, <laughs> but it's like, it's just like a blend of cheeses in certain ratio with herbs and stuff. Um, it melts really well. So we use it in a lot of our baked goods, but I was like, all right, we got egg, bacon, savory cheese, and then croissant bun, wrap it up, reheat it. It gets all steamy. It's, it's melty. It's steamy. Um, and we always have a veggie option too, uh, that rotates like seasonally right now. We are going to, we're going back to like our winter one, which was a roasted sweet potato, egg, gouda, and kale. Um, same thing, like, uh, heat it up. It's all steamy and like, you can grab that and go, you know, get your cup of coffee from us. And I never thought like that. I don't know. I thought we'd sell some, but like we sell like 80 to a hundred a week. Like there's no, like since we started, like it's just, and people come in for them. We'll go through like two dozen on a Thursday and I'm like, okay, like this is awesome. But like people just want to pop in and they get that thing and it's warm and it's quick and it's like comfort food. Um, and I feel like everybody can relate, uh, to like a lot of my food inspiration comes from like memories, even if it's like the plum jam that we make. I didn't grow up eating plum jam, but it reminds me of like some kind of raspberry thing that I ate growing up. That was some like mass produced crap from the grocery store, but it like still triggers this like happy memory in my head. Um, so like focusing on more of the deli type items, um, I really want to offer some better like cold sandwich options, but like in a concentrated way, 
like a more purposeful way. Um, like we've done some things here and there. We did these awesome miso mushroom milks for a while, which was like miso braised, miso from Sinsoy, uh, like a bunch of their products, braised lion's made, made mushrooms from Rich Life Farm on our focaccia. It has local Swiss chard and sesame oil and Gouda and like heat it up. It gets all melty and steamy. And like, those were great and like really, um, really popular, but Again, it just kind of like our traffic flow there is a little inconsistent still. So they kind of would fall off. And like our cold sandwiches, it was kind of the same. Like we were testing things and doing them, but I don't think it was as like focused or uh, concentrated of an effort yet. So I'm just trying to take like a bunch of um, things I've learned from that and like what it seems like we can sell and like put it out there in a, in a way that um, works for us schedule wise and like, you know, like profitability wise, and then like kind of be able to start growing that next level of our menu. Um, so we do have more things together for like when we do eventually get into the Ludlow location. And then between developing more of that food program and then just like our like offering more catering type things. Like I don't have a catering menu. Like I get, we, we do stuff all the time. Like people order assorted things, but just kind of developing like our brand identity and like tying things together because now it's this point where I feel like so much of our product is figured out. Like my brain doesn't have to worry about how we make the profits. Like my brain doesn't have to worry about the day in and day out. So now it's time to like tie the loose ends together, like get our branding tightened up, like get our other menu items like going and like kind of just just make it more cohesive because we are still a pop-up. We pop up in Birkis, you know, it's not our aesthetic downstairs. Like we're still packaging things the way we have been packaging them forever. Like I still have one logo and like one sticker. Like I have not done merch since like 2018. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's been being worked out in the background and like being worked on. And I'm really excited to like kind of start launching that and like just feel like a more cohesive brand because our product is there. Like what we produce is there. And I've like just never been prouder of it. So this next question comes from the previous guest on the podcast, beverage director Ian Loki of Sushi Note out in Los Angeles. A question he left behind, what is the most unexpected or interesting food and wine pairing you've ever had? Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't do a lot of food and wine pairing stuff. Um, I've been drinking a lot of natural wine from Iris Reed. They know what I like at this point, and it's all good there. A lot of times I just take it home, and then I'm, you know, like, making food at home and pairing it with the wine. And it may not be anything extraordinary, but, like, I just like to eat goat cheese and, like, other cheeses, bread, olives, different kinds of pickles, like, different kinds of fermented things. I'm much more into like salty, fatty, like sour things. You can't even go wrong with wine and potato chips. What's the question you want to leave behind for the next guest? The question I want to leave behind is, what are you doing to support the people that work for you? 
there's been such a toxic undertone in the food industry for so many years. And I feel like the tides are starting to change somewhat. It's a slow roll because some of it is dictated by demands and costs and work environment and like just very old school institution things. And I think like when I moved into this brick and mortar, I always had the mentality of like, I want to have a better work environment than like I've worked in. Even if that just means like an actual open door policy of like, you can talk to me about anything. What am I fucking up? Like, tell me, is this day, there's too much shit on this day. And like, you know better than I do what you're doing day in and day out. And you have feedback. Great. Like, let's talk about it. Like, let's, let's figure this out because I think there's a lot of power struggles, especially with being a female in food and like being in like any kind of male dominated industry. Sometimes your views and like your voice gets sidelined a little bit. Being able to support and cultivate an environment that's positive and like behind the scenes and is not out in front of everybody's face. Like, yeah, my products I sell are out in front of everyone's face. Like, yeah, my brand, my company, my like, my sourcing of produce, like all of that, like local, you know, anything you shout from the rooftops, like all of that's great, but that's all the outside stuff. Like, is your brand, is your business like healthy from the inside out? Like, are you like instilling like a good environment and like, and values and like trying to help cultivate that next kind of generation of people that are coming up looking, looking for those, those spaces to grow and learn in like, So this uh, next question comes from one of our listeners. What's the one baked good you're looking forward to perfecting? Something you haven't uh, really tackled too much or given maybe as much attention as it needed to fully develop it? The bread is still a work in progress. I feel like our bread varies a little. I think we have some fermentation swings going on still and maybe some things to tighten up. But the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is bagels, because like bagels are just fucking great. And like, you can't get good ones in a lot of places. And I mean, I haven't really messed with them much. I was for a portion of time recently, like messing around with some at the bakery because I just want to make, I just want to make bagels. Like I want to, I want to mess with it, but I'm also not like, I'm not selling them or like putting them out there anytime soon. But I would love to have a day where I could be like, we're doing bagels for Friday or something like, and like have like a day of the week where we do that special thing. That's kind of like what I want to focus on with the sandwich stuff too, is like, oh, it's fungus Friday. (laughs) We've got like miso mushroom melts or something like a little more concentrated effort to like do special things certain days of the week now, which get people excited and like bring them in on days maybe they don't usually come in um bagels are really awesome um I feel like the oven we have would bake really good ones but I'm not like I'm not gonna sell a shitty bagel so like I'm not putting it out there until like it's locked in last set of questions here we ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast so a nice compare and contrast across all the episodes who would you say is the biggest influence on your career thus far when it comes to baking style and like there's definitely people that I haven't met 
that I've followed for a very long time on Instagram. This one woman, uh, Monica Wuleka, she's over in Poland. She has a few different spots, but like I followed her for a long time. And I'm also, I'm, I'm mostly Polish and Czech. And like, I really pull a lot from that style of baking, like dark breads, rye, whole grains, spelt, just things like that. And her, I have followed her for years and years and years. I don't, I don't, she doesn't even know who I am. Like I've watched her go from like working in America and then like going back to Poland and then like selling at markets out of like a little space and then opening a space. And then like, now she's got some other projects she's working on, but I just love her style. Like all of her big, that's her bread is so dark it's so beautiful so I get a lot of inspiration from her there's another woman out in like Bellingham Washington Raven Breads she's in that same style always been doing very whole grain uh locally sourced grain in her baked goods again has also been doing farmers markets forever like a solo female baker and then is working on a space now to actually build out has been slowly going through that process she has a lot of foraging and like there's just a lot of windfall apples and like fruit from old orchards that were out there and she like collects them and like she makes these like dense rise and like a lot of very dark breads also dense whole grainy stuff there's so much flavor wrapped up in that like america loves their white bread and white flour it certainly serves its purpose and has its place but like i'm such a sucker for rye and like whole grain and i i really sneak it in like as much as possible like most of our cookies are made with whole grain spelt flour or rye flour you know we have cookies made with whole grain buckwheat flour there's spelt in and a lot of other things we make, even like our pie crust. Like there's the only thing that is 100% regular kind of unbleached flour is like our brioche. Like that's really a, like everything else has some of Janie's Mill, like stone ground organic flour in it or has a lot of it. We do galette in for like epiphany, which is a laminated pastry. It's like a puff pastry. It's the Northern France version of the king cake. So it has a, like a frangipan inside, which we do an orange cardamom almond frangipan. And then we actually use quince preserves because I have a friend who forages quince in Cincinnati every fall and like brings me a bag of it. And then I make like a shit ton of quince preserves. And that puff pastry is I think it's like 50% Janie's Mill. I used to do it 100%. There's so much flavor when you're using that stone ground um, flour. So like, and then like big name people, I mean, Sarah Owens has been doing that for years. Stanley Ginsburg, the rye baker, <laughs> like that's like what he's known for. And I think like those people on the higher end, like the more commercial end, like their books have been out there for a while, like really inspired me to go in that direction too, because they were, you know, mainstream and doing it. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? A bowl scraper. I have a red one that I have had since like 2014. I don't know. When I worked at Whole Foods, some company came through and gave us bowl scrapers and knives and some bread mix and like showed us how to do it for something we we're making in house. And I still have this red bowl scraper and it's like, it's just the perfect flexibility. Nothing gets everything out of a container better. <laughs> Restaurant you recommend that isn't your own. So, I mean, you, you could recommend a bakery or a restaurant, one of your favorite places. 
kind of scenario that, you know, person gets stuck at the airport, they reach out to you, hey, where should we go? You kind of point them in this direction. We can just go to the place I took the most people to eat this summer, which was Mid-City in Cincinnati. Mid-City, which is owned by the same person who owns Longfellow. But Mid-City has a great small plate menu, um, very veg forward. I have friends who work there and it just sounds like it's a good environment to work in and eat. Like the food there is amazing. I They were just on the like Bon Appetit mag, like best new restaurants list. Yeah, my friend is actually the chef there. We ride bikes together. Like... <laughs> Like the people like met him through that. But like, uh, I love their food. I just, I took like four different people there this summer. (laughs) I was just like, oh, we're going to hang out. Let's just go to Mid-City. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. So any place you haven't visited yet that you still want to travel to and any place that uh, you want to eat at that you haven't made your way to yet. I really want to go to Poland. I really want to go to Poland and like Europe. There's bakers I've been, you know, Instagram friends with forever over there that are doing awesome things. And Poland, big time. I've never been to Europe. I mean, I've never even been to California. Like I haven't gotten that far. Really want to make some some travels uh, based around food, hopefully in the next couple of years and get out that way. Really want to go back to New Orleans too. I spent some time there this spring and that was just so much good food. So there's a place, I think they're in Vermont called Ida Pizzeria. Yeah, their Ida Pizza Pies on Instagram. Everything they do looks amazing. I would love to go to Vermont just to eat their pizza for sure. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a bakery while you're working? Working on a bakery at a farm, you saw a lot of things. They slaughtered chickens on site too. So like they'd just be out back killing chickens like behind the bakery um, like every other week. Honestly, the thing that just kind of sticks out that is just really funny. uh, When I was there, it was still the old space. So like there was walk-in coolers and freezers, but they were out back behind the bakery and there was a cement like patio. So you had to like wheel the speed racks of bread out to the coolers. A little warmer day in winter. It was probably like in the upper 40s outside. And like we finished shaping the bread and it was warm in the in the actual bakery. So we had racks of bread dough, like shaped bread dough, um, sitting out behind the bakery, just kind of like slowing it down, pulling it off before we popped it in the cooler. You know, it's all about time and temperature. So here I am with three different zones, warm zone in the bakery, cool zone outside, cold in the cooler. So I'm trying to stage it so it has a little bit of rise time before hitting the walk-in cooler, but I don't want it sitting in the warm bakery. We went outside to take everything else into the cooler and there's just like a shit ton of fucking chickens like picking at all of the bread on the lower racks, like all of the dough, just like eating the dough. And I was like, I didn't expect that. Didn't anticipate that uh, happening. So I learned that lesson. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything, pickles, candy, fast food, anything that you just know is not healthy that you just can't help yourself? Yeah, it's the flavors of my childhood. You know, like Entenmann's brand, that grocery store brand, Entenmann's chocolate cake, Entenmann's chocolate fudge cake. That was like the fucking cake that I ate growing up so much. Like would want that as a birthday cake, like all the time. Not really into cake, but I love chocolate cake with like chocolate frosting, but 
real chocolate fudge frosting, not chocolate buttercream. Entenmann's chocolate fudge cake. Probably could still just like eat at least half of one of those in one sitting easily. Favorite Instagram account you follow? So like the one that you never really skip over, kind of always enjoy whatever they post. Oh God. Again, there's so many good ones. There's so many people out there doing like doing awesome stuff. There's a lot of funny ones, of course. There's a lot of community in Instagram and there's a lot of baking community, farming community. So there's a lot of people that I feel like I follow and like really love their account. I definitely have loved watching Levy Baking Company grow. Like they're down in New Orleans and like, I mean, I've watched like Brown Bear Bakery in Cincinnati, like watch them grow too. When I met Blair, I remember thinking she had a brick and mortar already, but she didn't even have one yet. Like they were just in the works for that. And like, I love following her account. Levy is another one. They've been around for a long time, kind of same age range as Blair and I, and they've also grown. They do awesome, like baked goods down in New Orleans. There's another one down there, uh, Belgard Bakery. Like I've watched them for years. I finally got to go there. Uh, this year and they're another one like very whole green like local green focused beautiful space I love like just keeping tabs on all of my baker friends like basically through Instagram and like now that this has been going on we've been in this for so long like seeing what people are doing and their evolution and like that they're still in it is just so satisfying Favorite thing you've ever baked or cooked, created this thing that you maybe point to that was like your aha moment that you knew you could be a professional baker? I was really into cookies for a long time, like home baking. I went through a period of time where I couldn't like eat wheat and I couldn't eat dairy. I had like a lot of issues, like health issues years ago. I was baking already and like it forced me to like figure out how to make stuff without all that. (laughs) There's nothing I can say that like I made that was better gluten-free or vegan. Like I'm not saying that. I just think like that lit a spark in me to like figure it out and like look at the different things involved in baking and like all the characteristics that you get from dairy and gluten and then trying to like translate it to things that I actually wanted to eat because that was so many years ago there wasn't products on the market like there also weren't all-purpose gluten-free flours at that point in time like I was doing a lot of blending different flours to like achieve all those qualities that like wheat brings to something when you're baking and I think that was like a time where I had to kind of figure things out a little. I'm such a sucker like for chocolate chip cookies. Like that's even at the bakery now, like that's literally what I eat the most of are the chocolate chunk cookies. It's like my ideal cookie. Like there's plenty of stuff we make that I'm not into chai spice things like a chai cream cruffin. Like that's not even something I would purchase off of a menu be elsewhere. I wouldn't go for that because that's not my palate, you know, but so a lot of like what we make is also me being like, okay, this tastes good. I think like this is good and people will like this, but it may not be what I specifically want. Chocolate chip cookies, like always having that in my back pocket is like what I need to be happy. (laughs) I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is or was. Uh, If you were, is there a moment episode scene that uh, stands out to you about him? If you weren't, is there somebody else who was on TV, Emerald, Guy Fieri, somebody who was on TV that kind of stood out to you that you kind of paid in? 
paid attention to, you know, when you're coming up in your career? So I love Anthony Bourdain. I was a really big fan of his. I don't know. I remember watching my way through so many of his episodes, like years and years ago. He was so inspiring, like his mentality and the way he spoke about food. I don't know if there was any certain moment that sticks out to me. I really haven't thought about it in a long time. It was inspiring to see somebody talking about food in the way that he did and like seeking things out. I remember watching that like on Netflix in Michigan. So I think he was just so far ahead of his time. I like drank in like everything. Like there was so much of the world and of food that I was exposed to through his shows and like that really wasn't out there at that point in time. Where can people find you? Social media, website, plug everything. Instagram is North South Bacon. Uh, Facebook is North South Bacon. Website, www.northsouthbacon.com. You can find us on Google. You can find us in Covington at 39 West Pike Street in Kentucky. And we are open five days a week there. We vend at Hyde Park Farmer's Market in Cincinnati. Uh, This is the first year we will go year round with that market. So we will be moving into Mad Tree Brewing starting in November and vending with the winter market every Sunday morning. We currently also vend through Madeira Farmer's Market, which is a smaller one in Madeira, which is part of Cincinnati. And that market may not go year round. It's a smaller market. It's a very loyal market. It's a really good, good selection. I've been in that market two years now also. And then otherwise, we wholesale to a bunch of different coffee shops, very good coffee shops in Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky. I think the most... Interesting one to mention is actually a distillery in Ludlow, Kentucky called Second Sight Spirits. They are a distillery and they distill bourbon and some and other spirits. They also offer coffee service like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they sell our pastries there at the counter. Definitely not my biggest account, but I think like they're a very unique place with what they do and like the craft that they have themselves going on. They've been so supportive like i have a key to that place like we i used to go in in the middle of the night and drop off like orders because it was a pickup location for us for so many years they're just like you can come here and work when we're closed if you need to like work in a different space like they've just been so supportive over the years definitely that's a great spot and the five days a week is Wednesday through Sunday, right? Yes, Wednesday through Sunday, uh, 7 a.m. to noon. It is kind of like a pop-up in that sense. Breakdown at noon. Uh, usually there's stuff for sale because the space is still open. Beerkiss takes over and starts serving pizza and beer. And you can still buy bread and pastry and like cookies. There's kind of a variety of ways to get at us because you can pre-order through the website our web shop which is usually open like tuesday through friday morning there's just different cutoff times for the ordering because we take orders for pickup on thursdays and saturday and sunday so there's kind of like a rolling cutoff depending on what day you're ordering not everything is on the web shop usually the big items are and like the core menu items, but like the spur of the moment stuff you can only get at the bakery. We do a lot of holiday ordering through the website. Uh, we're going to launch the Thanksgiving menu soon. The 
Other thing that we do really well, which I didn't really touch on, is pie. I love pie. Like I said, I'm not a cake person. We make killer pies and like tarts and pies and all of that. That is so good. And we are kind of like expanding that program to the little, like the tarts that we do. We've been doing lemon meringue tarts pretty consistently. And now we just switched to the the pumpkin caramel meringue tarts. And we're probably going to have some other options. A little more like dessert than breakfast. But I mean, I'm not going to judge if you just pick it up and house it for breakfast. This is awesome. It's a super unique bakery and what you guys are doing. I think it's super forward thinking too as well and and how you've strategized some of the business aspects too. And like I said, we're going to be down there in December. So can't wait to stop in and check out the spot. And yeah, if you see a ridiculous order come through, it's probably us. If you're like, why did somebody order this much stuff? It was us. Yeah, looking forward to that and checking out uh, some stuff in Cincinnati that we haven't checked out before. We'll see you then. But otherwise, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I was so psyched and like, I am just so floored to like be on a podcast and this is just, this is rad and I appreciate it. And like, thank you for hosting me and like so many other people from the industry and like asking the questions you do and providing the space for our voices. And it just means a lot. So thank you so much. A big thanks again to Kate for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of her evening after working a full day and chatting with me about her career and North South Baking Co and where it's been, where it's headed, where she wants to take it to as well in the future. So again, you can follow her on Instagram at Kate.knives, also at North South Baking um, too as well. And we're on Instagram there at Spoon Mob. Make sure to follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, whatever. But also make sure to check out the website, SpoonMob.com. That's where we have all the profiles of everybody who's been on the podcast, food photos, contact information. Sometimes people's Instagram handles change and everything. So we keep all that updated so you can find it if there's anybody that you're trying to find or reference or whatever, and you can think of too as well. So I believe I'm getting Kate's last name right. Uh, It's N. YCZ. I'm saying Nick's, but maybe it could be nice with the Z being silent. So if I am butchering that, Kate, I do apologize as somebody who has a complicated last name. Completely understand um, how that can sometimes get butchered. So not my intent. NYCZ is how you spell her last name. And she's the founder owner of North South Baking Co. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed recording the episode. It was super honest, thoughtful, informative conversation. So looking forward to ordering a shit ton of stuff from her bakery when we go down to Cincinnati next. That's always kind of one thing that I like to do is just pick a bakery when we go down there and we stay and just run through the menu like over the course of the entire week and really get a feel for everything that they do. So that is it for this week's episode. Appreciate everybody listening. If you're new, welcome. If you've been here for a while, thank you for your continued support. Continue to help spread the word. You know, you go to one of the places that we've had somebody on from the podcast, you know, mention to the waitress or waiter or hostess or whoever, you know, hey, we're super excited to be here. We heard about you guys on the Spoon Mob podcast and, you know, definitely looking forward to trying it. That does more for our podcast than anything else. The word of mouth, the spread, that does more than any sort of paid advertiser or anything could ever do. So we really appreciate all the connections and everything that we've made with people, whether they write in questions or comments feedback, recommendations um, for future guests or whatever, return to the podcast or even, you know, giving up some of their time and their day to come on initially or anything like that. We always want to support everybody as much as we can, attend whatever events we can, post as many food photos 
and reshare all their Instagram posts for any special dinners or new menus or new restaurants that they're opening or whatever. We always want to support everybody as much as, as possible. But again, thank you for all the support that we've gotten from the listener base uh, as we continue to grow and move kind of towards 2023. So more great episodes on the way. We've got a bunch of stuff recorded, a bunch of stuff lined up too as well. We might do something a little bit special too as well. So a couple ideas in the works um, that we're getting kind of ironed out, but uh, more cool stuff on the way. Appreciate everybody. And we will talk to you guys next week.